and welcome to this, another episode of Frame and Reference. I'm your host, Kenny McMillan, and today we're talking with Julian Terry, the director and DP of the horror short Don't Peek, which he shot uh, nearly alone in his bedroom during the old uh, the pandemonium, the old panda sanctuary, the old Panera Bread. Um, the film, uh, the little short has been optioned now, so it's going to be in a, uh, turned into a feature as well as like two other films of his. So it was excellent to, uh, talk to Julian, if for nothing else than inspiration, but also one thing that I really liked that we kind of dug into was, uh, the importance of having a good story and as fun as gear is, um, having that gear serve the story, you know, uh, storytelling is not necessarily a, 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 a popular topic um, on the old internets, but uh, needs to be, you know, the gear is more accessible, I suppose. Storytelling is far more uh, cerebral. But so we, we talk about that a little bit, obviously the gear stuff, uh, his career. Um, it's a great, it's a great talk. I love this one. So uh, as always, short intro, let's get to uh, my discussion with Julian. Tell me how you got started in cinematography. Were you always a uh, like a, a film nut, or or how did how did you um, come to the art? Uh, well, you know, it's funny. You know, I always wanted to direct. That was my big thing, and um, it got to a weird point where, like, you know, when I was a kid, I I would stay home sick and I'd try to recreate shots. Like, I remember when I, I, I would try to recreate shots from seven just with photos and such and, my, and try to recreate the lighting. And, you know, that was something that was really fun. And I loved uh, taking pictures of everything. I had a Nikon FG that I carried with me everywhere. And I just took uh, black and white photos of Chicago all the time. I was always around Rogers Park or Lincoln Park, you know, I, I really loved um, just taking photos of architecture, just people's faces. And I got really into the street photography throughout high school. But uh, the thing that really, really got me in was, um, you know, I, I really was kind of dancing around filming. I'd shoot like some of my friends' projects. I never had a video camera growing up. I would help out. And um, it was basically, you know, once I kind of... <laughs> you know, fled Chicago and came out here after I uh, flunked out of film school. Um, and you're I, in LA. And I'm in LA now. Yeah, I'm in North Hollywood. And um, yeah, I basically was shooting a no budget music video and it was with some college students. Like we were just trying to figure out what we were doing. But uh, I realized really quickly, I didn't know how to speak language. I didn't know how to talk to a dp i knew how to speak to actors i worked well with direction there but when it came down to like oh wait the you know i knew about the line i knew about certain elements i knew certain images that were pretty but i didn't understand like how to speak focal lengths and like how to speak to uh a gaffer and i was like okay you know i want to learn this stuff because i don't want to be this director that can't speak to a DP. So I went ahead and this was my first month out here in LA when I was literally crashing on someone's couch, a stranger's couch. And, you know, like I was barely making it by, but uh, I was like, this is what I need to do. I have to learn this. And I basically took, um, I basically spent a whole year really just working my way up from, uh, you know, I was an office PA at one point 
airplanes, but I also worked my way up to being a, uh, I guess I went to, I was like an, a camera PA for a bit, you know, uh, I was a second AC, we're up to the first AC since I was a wrestler at one point, you know, everyone knew that I could just lift stuff. So they're like, you can be a grip, you know? And I was like, great. And I would, I'd grip a lot. I was learning. I would always watch what everybody was doing though. And, um, I would just, uh, the best way to get to know a DP, at least back then was before the vaping was the big thing, but I would just carry <laughs> a pack of cigarettes and, uh, I never smoked cigarettes, but I would just carry a pack of them. And the DP or director would just go ahead and, you know, have me come over for a minute. And, uh, yeah, there was sometimes where I would literally, the, for some of these music videos, uh, this one DP really dug me because I always carried cigarettes and he was like, Hey, let me get a few, you go ahead and, uh, operate the camera for this one i'm like oh cool you know i'm like you kind of find your way into talking with people or you just are willing to jump aboard with anything and i would just watch how the tricks were done you know there's a lot of lighting tricks and lighting the face and uh yeah basically it worked and worked and i eventually was uh there was an office pa job i was doing where i got hit up to do um i was i got hit up to do this job but i remember i went on an elevator ride down when i found out i didn't even get to keep got to keep the job i, I literally was fired off this thing <laughs> it was a really bad day as an office pa and uh i botched a lunch order and um i'm on the way down and i get into an elevator with this exec who does uh shows for discovery channel and we're chatting he's like so how do you like your day as an office pa and i'm like well i'm not so great <laughs> i i think uh I, I'm not going to be here too much longer. I, I'm really better with the camera. He's like, oh, really? Well, we could use somebody here who knew, knows how to use this thing. And I'm like, that'd be great. And I gave him my email. Never heard from him for over a month. And I'm literally about to move out of this apartment. And uh, I get hit up about this job. And I'm like, I'll take it. And it was literally shooting this awful show called uh, Fat and Furious Rolling Thunder Season 2. It was ridiculous. Extremely dangerous. Uh, I don't think that show would be going on at all you know with the conditions that we were in but you learn really quickly how to set up the cameras and lights move quickly with these very heavy uh cameras and you know that really helped me out in terms of moving fast and then uh after that was over i ended up you know during that time you're working really quickly though i i really did i'm really thankful that i had that job because you learn how to it rock, they say like you're rocking a, a guitar, you know, you have one finger on the focus, you know, one on your aperture and, you know, you, you constantly just kind of like going like this the whole time and being able to punch in for your zooms and keep your focus at the same time and make sure you're rocking your aperture when you go outside. Because um, this is all and, unscripted. Yeah, yes. It was just crazy nonsense. Uh, like, you know, throwing phantom like carrying a phantom camera in front of a bunch of cars and recording really quickly and running out of the way <laughs> you know like uh it was ridiculously dangerous um but you know you learn how to move quickly but then after that i came back uh to la and started shooting music videos again i was i worked up to i was like kind of a gaffer and occasionally i would dp smaller stuff and um i ended up getting a job at buzzfeed as an intern mm -hmm. And I worked my way up there and I ended up uh, working my way up to being a the only branded uh, cinematographer on staff. So all their commercials, I ended up kind of saving their butts with a shoot because I was able to work really, really quickly. 
and um, light with what we had and uh, basically pull off a commercial looking shot with what they had in the film cage. And it really saved them on this one shoot and basically got me the job to stay there. And, uh, you know, it, it, knowing how to go ahead and problem solve is probably the best thing you can have as a DP, like the best, you know, knowledge is just, okay, how can we light this with the, with what we have with a few mirrors and mirror boards can we figure this out and you know work my way up as a dp for the brand side really helped me out in terms of working with a bigger crew and we're bigger budgets you know we went from like the buzzfeed smaller stuff was 300 bucks you know and then you had like 25 grand for a budget then you had like 250 grand for a budget and you or you work with a bigger crew and you you learn how to handle different scenarios you know sometimes you're literally the only person with the camera and you're filming sharks <laughs> people in the water sharks or you'll be with like filming puppies and kittens and you have to find the best lighting for this or film babies you know it, it really did help me out in terms of handling any scenario outside of you know buzzfeed afterwards it was really fantastic i guess sure. that's kind of a rundown but yeah that was really um how i got into cinematography was really just kind of throwing myself in there and filming like I think I shot close to 200 videos for BuzzFeed in the span of a few months or something crazy. I mean, I think well, got high output. I think it was a hundred. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I was it beyond exhausted, but I really think that when you just constantly shoot and shoot and shoot, it becomes second nature and you try to experiment a little bit with your lighting and how you have like, Oh, uh, you know, maybe I could, you watch a movie and you're like, I I see what they're doing here. Can I replicate this? Oh, what's this checkerboard thing? Maybe I could try that out. Or you end up finding a, a, a focal length that you, you love. And then you start experimenting with that focal length and changing it up. And I think it's really fun to just work with the directors and see how they worked, uh, you know, not only with actors, but how they brought their visions to life. And I think my job was always to bring that life, uh, bring that vision to life. I wanted to always make sure that director left happy, no matter uh, what their crazy ideas were. I was like, how can we achieve something close to that though? It was never something in it for me or my reel or anything. It was always, how do I make this director happy? And, you know, maybe it was throwing in ideas to kind of help it out, help find what that groove could be or make it even better than what they imagined. And I always loved that. You know, that was always my favorite thing to pull off. Totally. I you had mentioned a long answer there. Oh no, no, that's hey, man. It's yeah. our long podcast. Yeah. You take as much time no. as you need. Um, uh, you had mentioned like a few, um, like lighting techniques that you had learned. Do you remember any of those off the top of your head that you still use to this day? Oh yeah. I mean, I think it's funny to look at, you know, some of these techniques, how you kind of live and breathe by them. Like I always loved the book light, like putting up a, a book light and finding like the right, you know, um, just the right softness on the face. I think that was what I love to do is find like, oh, how can I get the fun, a fun roll off here? I love experimenting with that. I think the funny thing is when I switched to um, directing was I kind of threw a lot of this stuff out the window in terms of my own DP style. It became almost how close can I replicate a practical element? And I love that as a, D a DP, I would always try to find, okay, how can I make this set stage feel more like we're not on a soundstage, you know, have the, can the, can we make the highlights bloom a bit, you know, can we really 
punch out the our fake sun that's outside you know um i think that's the, the fun part is trying to give it a little bit of something organic um make it feel a little bit uh rougher i love that feeling and um you know when it comes down to even shooting these little fun shorts it was all like how can we go ahead and give it that uh realistic feeling how, how can we make it feel like they're in bed at this time um one thing for don't peak for example i had a little hair light going on on the ceiling this is actually my bedroom where i shot it <laughs> and uh i think what's funny about it is i you know for me for horror films i i think overlit stuff you know is a it doesn't freak me out as much i feel safe when i see oh there's a i can tell there's a little hair light here i feel safe i know i'm on a set but it, as soon as it feels like oh the only thing lighting here is a lamp that's way creepier to me that's I, I, it kind of feels unpredictable and i think that's what gets in people's heads and for don't peak for example like i had the opening where things are very lit nicely and she's lit by the switch and uh like her her, her hair lights going on from the ceiling here and it feels very uh cinematic but then as soon as things kind of take a turn for the worse and we know it's scary i turn the lamp back on but i don't turn the hair light back on and that's what makes it creepier i think everyone gets like chills by the end because they're like oh shoot this is a horror movie i'm scared just because those little subtle things that nobody really pays attention to like hair light i don't think the average film goer knows what that is but they see kind of beauty in that they see oh there's something soft here that feel like this is very cinematic but the ones that taken away it feels like oh my god we're capturing just a moment in someone's bedroom and i feel like finding that authenticity is the most important thing sure uh you had mentioned yeah. earlier that you would you were always matching uh like things from seven um which i'll get to in a second <laughs> yeah. but were there uh any other what were your influences growing up like your your visual influences was it a lot of oh fincher I mean, obviously, you know, Fincher is just such a master with the camera. I think, you know, one thing I find myself, I was always trying to replicate, I think, Spielberg a lot. And uh, I loved, I don't know, I, I fought, I've kind of fell in love with the way he would do his push-ins. Or even just kind of locked off shots where you can just kind of capture as much as you can in the frame. Um, so a lot of Fincher was kind of there from the get-go like i liked uh hitchcock as well you know there was something fantastic but fincher had such a way of lighting that i was like wow that's that's really cool it's really um like every frame just felt uh impactful to me same thing with uh i think it was raging bull in high school i was like wow this is super cool and i, I remember even when i watched um i think i started watching kurosawa films in uh like senior year of high school or something like that and i was and we shot like a samurai film back then and it was so much fun but i i love i i started watching so much kurosawa because i was like wow this is so cool i don't know what's i don't know what it is here but something's different about this filmmaking and i realized later on i was like oh you know this guy is literally just letting the actors do the movement you know um there's of course famous shots that he does add movement to but a lot of the times he just did really good blocking. Same thing with Spielberg, though. You know, you look at Sugarland Express. It's like a like uh, 
it's like film school blocking you know it's it's fantastic it's like it's a great film school like where you can just watch and you're like oh i see what's going on here and then you see some of those elements almost in munich where you see oh this camera's kind of just flowing with them it almost feels like it's a character trying to keep up with the uh talent and it's it works really well and i think that really did help me in terms of my style now my style now is kind of interesting it's kind of become a a mixture of i i love the precision of fincher and i love how spielberg does his push-ins and finds the emotion in things um and finds those kind of emotional aspects but the thing that really kind of hooks me a bit is uh something that came from playing a lot of video games as a kid you know uh playing like first person shooters that was always most scary to me it was you can't see you can't turn around you're just stuck with this perspective and i really fell in love with doing a lot of perspective shots i think they really do sell a story they really make it just plop the audience right there in the eye and the town shoots and it's really fantastic to be there i think uh that's the most fun in the world is to go and say okay can you go ahead and find elements in your visual style from like a, a video game or even uh looking at like what works in something else a different medium i think that's the most fun totally were you a uh were you a big like special features guy i know i like half i went to film school but like <laughs> half of the shit i learned even before i got there was just from watching commentaries and special features like that's what got me into filmmaking was was the behind the scenes stuff on my favorite dvds Oh yeah. No, I, I think, uh, I literally have the most insane <laughs> Blu-ray wall just because of the commentaries, special features. I, I think what's great about them is, you know, I, I always loved when a certain filmmaker was, uh, coming out with a new movie. Cause I knew, Oh, they put so much work into their special features. It's great. You know, um, Robert Rodriguez is very famous for that. Um, you have even Finch, uh, Fincher has some great breakdowns for like Panic Room. You had a whole like disc just on pre-production for it. And it's like, wow. This if is you can get so Panic cool. Room on Blu-ray. Oh, well, for some reason, it's the one, one movie you can yet. fucking, you can't get. No, like I think I, yeah. either they just put it out or it, yeah, it hasn't come out. But like, I don't have it on D. It's yeah. the one movie of his yeah. that I can't get a hold of without like spending a bunch yeah. of money. I just have that one on DVD and it's just, I have the like, three disc edition of it. It was always finding the most editions of it. You know, I, I think that's the most fun looking at like my Lord of the Rings box set. That thing has like 26 hours <laughs> behind the scenes. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like this is a journey. Uh, but I love, there's something beautiful about that where you can, it's the closest you can get to having a conversation with the filmmaker, you know, uh, that's why I love criterion films where you can you really do a deep dive into everything that, filmmaker has like do the right thing has a great breakdown with um you know the the readings of the script readings and it's like wow this is so cool it feels uh like it's the closest thing you get to being there uh like uh i I think sydney lumet did a great job with like his book making movies where you're like oh you get to feel what it's like to be in the room during these times and i think that's the most important thing because no one tells you what it's like to be actually in there. I, I and now I, I only went through my intro film class, but I, as far as I know, I don't think anybody teaches you about realistically pitching to a studio. Um, it's a whole different world. And uh, yeah, the best thing you can do is read books or watch movies and hear what these directors say, <laughs> have to say. I think it's really fantastic to hear about some of the predicaments they run into. And you're like, oh, 
I never thought I'd run into this problem. And then you find yourself running those problems later on. And you're like, oh, thank God I listened to this commentary. I'm so thankful I did this. And yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just uh, you can find the most fun information from that. And now the big one is the podcasts. You know, like DGA has a good podcast. Uh, there's a bunch of good ones from A24. Um, I love listening to these podcasts where they can just, it's a huge just uh, breakdown with uh, the directors that you admire. You know, it's fantastic. Yeah. The, uh, I think that that's something that we've kind of lost in the uh, what what did Steve Holfish call it the journalism uh, mm. websites that like literally wait for someone else to do the research and then just hack <laughs> it up to ten bullet points and then post it because yeah. even if you know they were to watch for instance actually um, I think it's one perfect shot does which uh, a colleague of mine was like uh, they should call it many person many perfect shots there's they don't just post one there's like <laughs> a million um a few perfect shots but uh yeah. they'll do like things we learned maybe it's film school i don't fucking know they're all the same uh yeah <laughs> but it was like things we learned from x commentary and mm-hmm. then they just bullet point the interesting stuff but what i found is that nine times out of ten those bullet points are yeah fine you know it's all information but what you don't get the, the stuff that you could use as a filmmaker generally is in the time between those bullet points where they're like riffing about oh, yeah. some little problem they ran into that isn't uh, clickbaitable or whatever. You know, it's it's not Robert Downey left piss on the set. It's like, oh, you know, actually, we I, I was just watching the Looper commentary and they were talking about um, how uh, uh, Emily Blunt had they she had to do the axe into the um, stump scene like pretty early on or something like that. And then they later go back to the part where she's got Joseph Gordon-Levitt in front of the shotgun, but her shoulder was all jacked up. So they've actually got a, a, a like a PA or someone holding the, the barrel of the shotgun off camera. So she doesn't have to actually hold it because she just couldn't oh use it. Her rotator cuff was shot. And it's like little, you know, that's a bad example for like technical help, but it's just little things like that, mm-hmm. that like um, are fun. Yeah. I think that's what's great is, uh, yeah, there's there's fun bits where you're like, oh, wow, that's something really clever. I think um, even though when it comes to technical, I think it was uh, was that on Gone Girl when Fincher spoke about, I think, his love for uh, you know, why he doesn't go with Master Primes anymore. He went for uh, Leica because he was like, oh, you know, it's these characteristics that I he, he's like, this is going to be my technical piece right here and he starts going off about why he switched lenses and i'm like oh that's really fascinating like i'm glad that we can hear those nerdy talks because a lot of times these filmmakers they talk about stuff and it's like okay yeah you do know more than this though i want to hear the the juicy nerdy stuff like the reason why you chose this film stock or this camera like why did you go for this over that. And I think there's um, really fantastic uh, breakdowns with some of these directors where they're like, Oh, I love when you go get nerdy with it. You know, I, that is an interesting um, thing that I feel like is more recent. I don't know if it's our generation or what, especially the, the younger kids, like, you know, it's like a sliding scale, but like um, believing that there's always, something deeper that like, if only we had that information. Cause I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. Like I, I live for that stuff, you know? 
Um, mm-hmm. I've got reams and reams of, of notes of just like, you know, exactly like you said, like Leica over Master Prime because X, Y, Z. And I think people can get too locked into um, those sort of stats and then completely mm-hmm. get rid of the why. Like they're so oh, yeah. focused on the how that the why, you know, the, the you know, it's easy to go like Fincher prefers Leica, uh, the Sumaluxes. So those are the best. You know, you always mm-hmm. say, I got an email today and I hate this fucking question. So I'm sorry if this guy's listening, <laughs> but I told him I hate the question in the email in my response. He goes, is the C500 Mark II still good in 2021? What? And I was yeah, like, that's it. There's something about this idea of what is best mm-hmm. and not what, why, like, what, what are you doing? What are you shooting? What do you need it? Also that, that camera came out a year ago. It's not, <laughs> it's not an XL two. It's yeah. Yeah. Go for it. You know, I, I have to, I would love to actually talk about this because yeah, I, I think the problem is we are very much a gear focused uh, culture here. And I think it is very much, I don't know. It's, it's definitely like this bro gear culture world like those were the things that did the best on no film school i'm sure that's why it's always like well this is the film like when as well it can apply to anyone look at this thing yeah and it's like i don't know i get so tired of oh what camera did you shoot on right after your shorts done you're like uh, you know i was in a weird way i felt very freed by having such a Dico's constraint with uh, the most recent short because, you know, before it was always, oh, yeah, what camera should I shoot with? Okay, maybe this or that. With this one, it was literally shot in my bedroom with my girlfriend and my roommate, and it was literally just what we had. And that was, I was like, oh, I'll shoot shoot this thing with an iPhone. I don't care. I wanted to do this constraint of just not leaving my apartment. And thankfully, my roommate had uh, bought uh, Blackmagic 4K for tax reasons, but, you know, it was just this black magic uh pocket 4k with a little sigma art zoom and uh yeah the tokina um 11 to 16 those two lenses and a camera and i'm like okay i've never shot with these lenses i never shot with this camera it shoots b-raw whatever that is i'll figure it out and you know we'll figure it as we go it doesn't matter and putting that the gear aside was so great because it just made me focus on the story i'm like i I could care less on what the shoot's on because I look at that footage and a lot of my friends, everyone I spoke to at South by, they all thought that it was shot with something like an Alexa or a Red, but they didn't understand like, oh, you shot that on a black magic pocket. And I was like, yeah, it's like a $1,300 camera, you know, and the compression from YouTube's going to just butcher it no matter what, <laughs> you know. Uh, Dump a bunch so of contrast into it. Yeah. So it's like, there's something to just like, hey, you know what? It's fine. It's uh, like, obviously for the feature, it's, uh, you know, you have to make sure it's, uh, you know, able to perform on a big screen, whatever, you know, that's whatever. But when you're just shooting something, don't let the tools and the gear get in your head beforehand because it doesn't even matter in a way, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, you obviously need your lenses for what you need to cover. But, you know, a, a lot of times I find a sensor is just a sensor, you know, some of my best looking stuff came from, a C300, the first one, you know, and, you know, I, I look at like girl, the dragon tattoo. And I'm like, that thing was shot in a red one, you know, um, and social for most network of it, was least, too. Uh, epic. Yeah. And it's like, 
that was I think that was before the NX. I'm they switched I'm blown away through. by these. I know that they switched halfway through. Yeah, and then they had the Epic. I think some point in Girls of Dragon Tattoo, but these cameras are all right. You know, you could get them for cheap now. The red one objectively is like yeah. tough to use. Yeah, oh like no God. one well, would the want lens, that. The, the whole menu system's awful. Yeah, I mean there was some sensitivities were off on it too. Talked about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely have to have a lot of light. But I was sitting there like you know that film looks incredible still today. You know, I don't think anybody should go ahead and say, oh well, it's just about how to use it. Yeah, you Dude, need this- a lot more light to make it work. But, Zodiac was yeah. shot on the Thompson right. Viper. Who's going to buy a Thompson <laughs> yeah. Viper? No, no, that thing is insane too. Uh, I mean, um, it's uh, basically just a big old computer. I yeah. think of uh, things like, yeah, like I look at that little black magic pocket and I'm like, wow, this thing, it does a great job. I'm, I was blown away by the little low light sensitivity that we had these little IntelliTech lights, mm. the two light panels. And they were like, you know, they were pretty cheap. I think it was like uh, just these two light panels and we kept them at literally at 1% and 2%. And that was it. Like one of them was so light. I had one tape to the ceiling right here. And the other one, you'll notice I don't have any blinds open in my recent short because I had the other one hanging by the blinds and I just had it kind of bent so I could have one, uh, one part of it beam on the screen and the other part hit the bed. And I was like, this is great. And I put some, party gels on them to make to really push the color to where i want it to be because i knew if i it never is good with these digital cameras when you push in the colors with what you want it to be i i like to shoot with the color i want it on set and um yeah i pretty much did that and it, it, it looked great and i was like perfect if we, if we only have to light with one percent <laughs> of this this is great and um Battery yeah, I, mean, last I well, that's the thing. I had it. I had everything plugged into the wall sockets. It was great, mm. even the camera. And uh, you know, uh, we could just film all night if we wanted to. But yeah, I I was sitting there like I love the idea of not letting gear take over my brain. It's very freeing because it's so easy to go and say, well, I I wish this was the six K pocket, or I wish this was the you know. I love the Alexa, the Alexa look, you know, that's such a fantastic looking camera. And I'm like, oh, I only have this or that. And it's like, it can build up in your head. Just work with whatever you have. I know some people that are like, oh, I would shoot a short right now, but I don't have $10,000 to go ahead and give to my camera gear and lighting and stuff. And I'm like, you don't need that kind of budget. You can go ahead and make it work a lot simpler. You just got to tame your vision down it's not gonna it's not gonna make or break it it's on the 65 you know (laughs) you can go ahead and have it on whatever camera you want you know do you think you know i look at like kubrick with shining and i'm like that thing was shot you know it was mostly an 18 millimeter lens the whole time and you know it wasn't shot with a large format or any of this junk it was just with what he wanted it to feel like and the distortion with uh uh, I think it was super speeds, I think. But um, I look at that, and I'm like, this is fantastic. I, I I think it's easy to get overwhelmed with the gear. I think the big thing is just to, like, find what you can make work. And I love that pocket because it really made those practicals sing. Like, it really got to make it feel like, oh, those lamps are really lasting here. It was really fun. Well, uh, 
man, you, you make a bunch of points that I have to like keep. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's great. It's perfect. Uh, I love it. Um, yeah. The, the one thing I will give black magic credit for, and this is something I do wish I've, I've kind of gotten on my one contact at Canon's case about is like black magic is updating their cameras all the damn time. Like they keep adding new features. They keep like those. They're fucking great. Um, B raw is great. Uh, but I think that going to the point of gear fetishism, I think it's easy to sit on YouTube all day and watch. Lord knows I'm on YouTube yeah. all day watching, <laughs> you know, people run down gear because it's fun to talk about. But yeah. I think it's there's a difference between sort of absentmindedly listening to it and just kind of knowing about new stuff and all and then um, staking your entire sort of livelihood on whether or not you got the right thing and i think the main difference is no one has a story to tell Mm. everyone's everyone's more concerned about making pretty pictures and then you go well what are you shooting and they're like well i'm gonna start a production company it's like what are you gonna produce and they're like well i haven't figured that out yet it's like well then you don't need a fucking camera man like you you need to worry about what you're gonna shoot first which is the same thing when people i saw this big old argument on twitter about how we can't just shoot it on a cell phone that's bullshit i'm like you absolutely can the problem is that your story sucks and you want the camera to make it look better (laughs) you want people to take you seriously even though you don't deserve it Mm -hmm. no which sounds brutal but it's like that's the conversation we have to start having these days oh i 100 percent agree i look at one movie that I look at that I'm like, God damn, this is beautiful. I think it, I forget, I was trying to remember what it was shot on, but I look at um, Arrival with Bradford Young and he went ahead amazing and was DP. like, you know, I'd rather, amazing DP, he lights, it's very dark apparently on his sets, but he works with, he was like, I don't need to use really fancy glass. I can use some older lenses. And it was like, it gave so much character to it. I'm like, that's great. All these, all these movies that we, everything we shoot gets so compressed and, you know, it really, I wonder in the end, like how much some, some of these movies even like some of them just look fantastic when you watch it on screen, like Avengers looks fantastic. And that thing was shot in Alexa, you know, it wasn't shot 4k or whatever. It was just fantastic how it was. I, I think about just making it work with what you got, what you can budget for. And that's the D those are the DPs that are going to keep getting hired in the end of the ones that don't hog the whole budget up. And they're like, Hey, we can go ahead and make it work with this look. We don't have to shoot this way, you know? Um, well, it all, it all DP, comes down yeah. to production design. Like yeah. if you don't have anything in front of the camera to shoot, the camera won't shoot any, it doesn't You shoot on Alexa. Sure. But if you're in this room that I'm in, yeah. Like at least you got blue walls in there. These white walls look like trash, you know. Oh, <laughs> if you're trying to well, shoot some. Did you note, paint them for the shoot? <laughs> nope. I oh, so oh. I had shot this. Like you can see the white ceiling. That that's what the whole room looked like, and so you can tell that's that. Okay, so one big hint towards uh, for anybody who lives in like L.A. or cheap apartments, like everything's white walls. Like it's always white walls. When you can always tell you're in some apartment. You know, you're filming someone's girlfriend in a horror short. I'm like, okay, yeah. I it, it, I get so annoyed by just seeing those white walls. And so I was like, ah. And with the short, I really colored. <laughs> That's why I'm putting party gels and really pushing the colors so much so that the gold really stood out from the lamp. And it was so easy. That's why it was at, everything's at 1% because 
you know, blew out the whole room. The white walls capture all that light. And um, like I had everything snooted down. Like I had a desk lamp that was the moonlight that my roommate made. And we just had like a big old snoot on it just to make a moonlight glow from it. But nothing, if you bounce light anywhere, it just goes, covers the walls. And so like when I was coloring it, it was a big pain in the butt. I was pretty much constantly trying to bring down the walls. And uh, I look at it now and I'm like, I remember I had just finished it and it was sometime in September. And I was like, I'm sick of looking at these white walls. And I just painted, <laughs> I, set, I just painted the whole thing up. I was like, I can't, I have to do this. Um, but yeah, I'm so glad I did. It really does kind of do a nice job, especially like separation of skin tone versus the walls. I, I'm all about it, but. Um, well, going, yeah, well, going back to, to yeah. the idea of, um, you know, you were saying your color and, and we'll, I'll actually prompt you to talk about the short here in a second. Oh, sure. uh, oh, yeah. But um, being a DP, like, you know, go, uh, sort of touching on the gear thing, like back in the day, you just had one one or two film stocks, maybe up to five film stocks that you could pick from. But generally yeah. you picked one, slapped it in the camera that did your job, you know, that worked for your crew and you went right. The rest of it was costuming, production design, um, shot selection, lighting. But uh, now, you know, back then the job of a DP was kind of mystical. Mm-hmm. Oh no, trust me, you know, it's going to look great, you know. Uh, and today it's not. Everyone knows how the camera works pretty much. Everyone can look at the monitor and go, no. Um, you were talking about having colored this project yourself. What are some of the... Uh, additional skills that you think dps need to have today because in my opinion you need, you need to also be a colorist an editor and have production design pretty uh not nailed obviously because that's a huge department but just like a, a good way of of directing like where practical lights will go for instance what stuff you need in the background to, you know to sort of for lack of a better term color correct on set you know yeah. i think every dp should know color correction just because you know in the end it, you can't be the person on set that's like oh i remember a lot of music videos where some dp had watched them go ahead and say oh you can get rid of that in post mm-hmm. and you couldn't <laughs> you know i remember going like in my head like i don't think you can and i remember uh you know for a while after i was a dp everyone said oh you can just be a professional dp and that's what you can do and i'm like ah, i want to be a director and i end up actually going into different fields into uh, visual effects that takes them on for a bit just so I could uh, learn just a little bit more. Eventually I came back to directing and now I'm directing a feature, but um, I look at the best things, at least as a director, what I tell people is work every job on set. But even as a, I tell actors to do this, I tell DPs to do this, direct your own short film, you know, learn how to edit on it, you know, do the visual effects you need to do, just direct something small, work with the an actor and you can see that job you can understand that job and that makes you way stronger when you go to dp again and you're like oh if i you know directors want to know this this and this how can i go ahead and be the best at that because yeah when i was a director and i went to dp for a bit i was loved because i would instantly say you know this is good, but let's talk. Uh, let's talk about where the shot's going to cut to next. You know, what's the shot? What's this? What's going to be the transition of this? And 
you're thinking in an editor's mindset and that's going to make the director feel way, way, way more safer with you. You're constantly thinking, okay, well, yes, this would be a really cool shot, but will it cut to our close-up afterwards? Um, maybe not. You know, I think there's even, I've, I've had arguments where I have, not arguments, but more discussions, but it's all like, oh, well, yes, this is a great, uh, great way to light it, but we're going to be missing out on lighting the rest of this, the cast here, we might need something to flood out the back here. And it's always important to just know what a director's thinking about and be a, the step ahead as a DP. And I think that's super important. That, and also just, you know, there's something great about knowing how to light and work quickly with what you have. Like, I remember there was um, a big, there was a big ad we're doing, um, it was a pimple ad. And so we had to have these high schoolers, literally, uh, I got a whole high school we lit and stuff and it was fantastic. Um, but to save cost, I was like, I had the whole day planned on the sun and basically had mirror boards up high and shooting light through all the windows. And I was, I was calculating the whole thing out like that. And then we got done early, which I was like, <laughs> I felt so proud of myself. And then the director turns to me and says, like, hey, can we go ahead? We want to go and shoot back in this hallway here because we got done early. I'd love to grab this one little line. And I'm looking in the hallway. It's just darkness. There's no area to capture light anymore to bounce in. I'm like, oh, no. What do I do? And I went ahead and um, I was talking to my gaffer and we were like, there was, uh, uh, there was always something great about just experimenting with something on the fly. There's always a solution. I always tell people there's always a solution. And um it ended up being moving all the mirror boards. So it literally, the sun was setting and it literally <laughs> went through the doorway. It had another mirror, like the mummy and it bounced on that mirror down the hallway through a, a sheet of muzz and then to another mirror board. And it bounced through this other thing, I think. And it hit him. And I was like, okay, we have like 10 minutes. <laughs> we have to get it now. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. It was so funny. We just had all, it, it was just most ridiculous thing, but, it's I, I saw that done on a and on a Nike commercial that I deep, uh, that I PA'd on. That's amazing. It's so much fun. It's like it's seen those. Uh, it's thinking outside the box and um, looking out for the director is the most important thing too. I like to think in a director's shoes all the time when I'm on set, and I think yeah, even as a, I try to give respect to the PD as well because you know when you're dealing with the that whole side, they're like, oh they feel like they're kind of being stepped on all the time. The DPs, I remember just watching them treat like the props, like just garbage. They just be like, eh, you know, move that side out of the way. We're putting this up. And it's like, you know, you talk with them. I remember I would just talk to them to have another wall built just so I could bounce light off this wall or through the windows from it, just to add some more to the set. And you have a real discussion about what you both are looking for. So you're both on the same page. Um, it's also a big thing with, dps that don't respect actors and i'm like oh they should just i don't know dps just need to go ahead and it feels like a lot of times the the you know the big all the memes are made about the dps that just kind of treat themselves like god on set and i think the big biggest thing you can do is just respect that the director has a vision and you're there to help it you know that yeah obviously we came from a place where we would shoot on film 
and no one knew what the hell was going to be coming out. Like the PD would come up to you like, uh, is this safe? Is this going to be in? Uh, you know, like they'd ask you that and you're like, oh, <laughs> yes, you're good. And you feel good about that. But then all of a sudden now it's on a big old 17 inch monitor and everyone's like, oh yeah, they pushed your, push themselves in there and like, no, this looks good. This way. Okay. Yeah. And it, you lose a little bit of that magic. I think one thing that I found is I've loved to just be my own operator and be like, I love actually like moving without a monitor sometimes and just being like, okay, yeah, we're good. You know, I know this framing, I've used this lens before a bunch of times. I know what's in the frame. Um, but it also kind of makes, I don't know, I know that when you have video village up, it slows you down. I like that uh, Wally Fister and Nolan didn't have video village for inception for most of it, I guess. And I'm like, that speeds things up so much because you're just constantly moving, you know? You're constantly setting up and you're just like, okay, let's go, you know? Uh, I think when video village goes up, everyone sits and looks at it, drinks their coffee, and it's it, it turns it to something else, you know? I feel like that's great for commercials. But when you're moving, when you want to move quick on a narrative feature or something, you, you got to move quick. It's not about sitting there and admiring some monitor for a while and then dealing, deciding on it. It's about moving fast and trusting your DP on it. Yeah. You know? the, uh, Eric, uh, Oscar winner, Eric Measuresmith, uh, was saying oh. that, uh, that, um, you know, DPs get, get probably too much credit for how a film looks and not enough credit for how it's told. Uh, and I think that's mm. something that people should focus on. Like your job is more so now than ever shot selection and mood. And like you were saying, carrying a director's vision forward, not so much making pretty pictures and, um, you know, like, you know, stunning everyone at video village with how cool your flair is or whatever, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever the hell you're stoked on. that yeah. day. Yeah. I think in the end, it's just, yeah, I, I like with, for example, with writers, I love a good writer who goes ahead and says, calls me boss when I'm working on something. And I'm like, okay, cool. I know that my vision and whatever I'm going to say is definitely like their job, but they're going to go ahead and might have like, a, oh, what if what about taking the scene this way? And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Let's try that out. But it's not like they're, they're the cool guys and they're taking the control you know, it's having uh, a respect for the director and their their mood. And on top of that, the other thing that DPs, uh, you know, I have to give a lot of respect to them for dealing with is uh, a lot of client they have to deal with, you know, <laughs> a lot of those, the co like shooting to, for a Toyota when they're like, oh, we need to capture this angle. And then, you know, I remember shooting something where it's like, yeah, yeah, like, in one year, like Toyota is saying one way, and then you know, Gina Rodriguez, like her, her whole, uh, her agents are saying, "Oh, this isn't looking good on her. Can you go ahead and change it?" And you're like, "Okay, how do I make you both happy here?" And it's it's funny how you kind of run into those problems, but I think it's a really important thing to have is a a good way of talking to clients, talking to these people, making them feel reassured, Just saying instead of being like oh no no i'm the i'm the dp now i've worked my way up to here and this is where how it's going to be and it's i think there's a way to talk to others and just say hey you know i'm hearing you i'm listening i think this shot it's going to go really quickly we're just going to capture this angle we're going to have 
the sunlight's beaming through this window. We're not going to even see, we're going to barely see her here. Or, oh, you know, the, if the camera's doing a whole pivot during this movement here, we can just start here and then do this. You know, there's a way to discuss it in a fun way. Yeah, I, I think uh, managing if you if you're the type of DP who's going for anyone listening, if you're the type of DP that's that uh, is going to work with clients or shooting commercials or whatever. Best advice I could ever give is like learn to make them feel like they directed the whole thing. That mm. every idea they had was heard and you did all of it <laughs> and they're the fucking master of the set because like yeah. that's how you're going to get hired again. But to your point, like ask, ask why they want the shot and then see if you can, de- if you can have a conversation and deliver the quote unquote correct answer to their why, because they might just be thinking, oh, I want it here because I want to see their face. And you're like, no, see if we do, mm-hmm. we can do that. But if we do it this way, it'll be yada, yada, yada. You know, I don't know what the fucking project is for anyone but well i think there's there's something great about when you're working your way up whether it's the client or your executive producer whoever it is there is going to be um that there's always the term the note behind the notes what is yeah. that and yeah it, what are they really after when they ask a question that might sound just ridiculous and you know sometimes you have a director that doesn't know anything about cameras and you're like oh well what are they really after here? What are they asking when it, the scene feels sad? And you're like, what do you mean it feels sad? Just tell me what you want. And you're like, I don't know, there's something great when you sit there and like, oh, I get what you're saying. The lighting's looking like this on their face and their eyes are being covered a certain way. It can feel sad now. And so you can figure it out. And I like to, I love talking emotions now where I start saying like, yeah, I think what we do want to bring in is a little bit of hope coming from this doorway how can we get that and i love to go ahead and talk to dps now almost how i speak to actors but i even though i might say oh yeah i think like a you know this particular like uh you know a certain light coming outside from here a sky panel at this setting will be great i instead of saying like particular item or whatever i love to speak even to my gaffers when i used to do this i would just speak in the emotions i'd say oh yeah i think this would work here maybe speak about like kind of what uh like if you want something flagged off or something but it's always speaking in the general term of what you the director is after too you know what's the emotional side of the scene i think that's really important yeah so uh getting touched on it a couple times but uh you just had um this short don't peek well first of all for for people who haven't heard it or seen it or anything (laughs) tell tell the folks about don't peek uh, Don't Peak was a short that we made for no budget in my bedroom right here. And uh, it was done about, it was basically a short about a young woman playing Animal Crossing and comes across this character, this creepy looking character that wants to be let out. And it's a fun little short where it really kind of played on the feelings I think we all had when we were sitting during lockdown, when we were sitting there just alone in the bed at night, you know, just uh staying up way too late than we should be and we come across something that feels off and you know the beginning of it i was kind of just it's really funny actually shooting the thing was hysterical because it was really just my goal was to make something that was uh with what we had in the apartment and so the idea was like oh well everyone has an animal crossing game a lot of people are doing this now so i think it'd be fun to highlight that and you know it was really um kind of funny because i I look at it like, oh yeah, well, we have 
you know, we don't have a monster to put it out here. We don't have, and it was kind of just having fun with it. Like there's a bit more wonder to the beginning of the short. There's a lot more of like, Oh, she closed the drawer in the game and her drawer closes, you know, pulling off these little effects that we knew we could pull off in camera was fun. Um, but yeah. Oh my gosh. It was really just working with what we had. Like since I didn't have a full monster, it was, we had my roommate, Alex, who, you know, he produces all the other horror shorts that I made where he's wearing a mask with two gloves and in his underwear. You're like, it doesn't look scary at all, but he's out of focus a few times and creepy there. Um, you know, one thing we did to pull off the scare is what we put him. I had him hide under a blanket and it's this creepy kind of, you see his, his weird shape under the blanket. And it's like, like just stuff that I realized like, Oh, we could pull this off. You know, we could pull off this stuff and, not make it this huge insane thing where you need a bunch of visual effects to pull it off it was really just working with what we had and i think that's what was really fun and you know thank god for that little black magic uh low light sensor because we tried um using a little light panel or something on the switch to hit her face but it looked ridiculous and it was like the spotlight hitting her and you know we were able to brighten up the switch and um shoot this 1250 iso which is its base um 1250 or it, 12,500 1250 1250 yeah okay so you didn't have to go um, too too high no 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 it was great uh it was just the base iso when you switch it to low light mode or whatever and uh mm. yeah it was just she's literally lit by the switch and i think that gives just even more authenticity you know um having those little elements was just great and the short ended up uh blowing up online and up i didn't even submit it to south by uh, Katie, my girlfriend and actor of this short, uh, she actually submitted it. And the only film festival we entered in was South by and uh, ended up getting in. It was crazy. Um, and then uh, Basilivs uh, came aboard and actually uh, optioned it. And now we'll, I'll be directing the feature version of it very soon. And so right now we're doing so a sick, prep dude. for it. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to always experiment and make stuff happen. I Sadly, as uh, when I was a DP, no one ever gave me, no one trusted me with my ideas. No one ever would say, oh, well, he's the DP. But I really wanted to direct. I really wanted to try these ideas out. And it took a long time for me to finally get that strength to say something. And I did it with a short film called The Nurse. It was the first horror short. And that one I did for a contest. And it was done within a few days. It was treated like a BuzzFeed video where we basically shot it in the span of a few hours and i was working during that time at the visual effects house and so it was literally edited that night colored the next night and sound music done the next night and then it was out and it was wild uh it was it, but it was so much fun and up winning this contest and new line optioned that and i was like that's so cool and then we made another one called whisper where it was about a uh amazon echo that could pick up on a voice that our main character couldn't hear. And uh, so she's hearing this <laughs> echo saying this yeah. stuff. And it's super fun. It's two <laughs> minutes long. And it was literally shot in the span of like five or six hours. And uh, the it was literally uploaded a week in a week. And, um, you know, these, these shorts were really thrown together really quickly. But that one, I remember I was so hesitant to release it. And I was like, oh, what if it's not good? What's not good? It can be kind of wacky. And shh. I was almost hesitant to release it because I didn't think it was, it looked great either. I thought it was kind of choppy. I didn't get enough time to color it nicely, but 
it ended up, uh, I didn't think any filmmakers would have liked it. But then sure enough, a year later, Steven Spielberg loved it and offered it at Amblin. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like we're making this movie at Amblin. That's crazy. And so you just never know how it's going to go down. The other one that was they hear it. And that was shot, I think, with like three different cameras. Uh, but um, that was actually kind of funny. They hear it was basically uh, the one I made right after Whisper. It was a few, I think, a month after, two months after making Whisper. I uh, had this idea for this creepy Twilight Zone kind of story where, you know, these kids pick up a, can hear the sound from the woods, but the adults can't. And one after each night, these kids end up going missing to hear the sound. And so it's a fun, creepy story. And the short was kind of the opening scene from it. And it, this short hasn't been released yet. But um, yeah, I remember my DP on that one actually quit mid shoot. He got sick. sick. Had to leave. And so sick. I, yeah, he got a little sick. <laughs> sick. And so, uh, because we were shooting on like this mountain over here, Fraser Park. And I was like, uh, okay, well, you know, I think most directors would panic. Thankfully, as a director of DP, you can, I was just like, well, whatever, we'll just go through it and we'll just do it anyway. And so I was kind of DP in the rest of it. And so, which was funny was you get thrown in these situations and it never works out the way you want it to. You know, I think it's important right. to always have that DP side of your head that you're just going to keep rolling with the punches. Oh, this, our Dane Valley doesn't have the low boy combo stands when the woods, what are we going to do? And it's like, oh, we got to, throw it on some apple boxes and some sandbags, level it out each time, but we'll figure it out. And it's constantly thinking like that. It's, there's no, there's always an answer to it. And that short ended up being optioned at uh, Legendary. And with David Robert Mitchell, who wrote it, Follows came aboard to write that script. And it's like these shorts, they all, you know, find their way out there if you know how to pitch them and stuff. But I think the big thing is making something that's, personal to you and try you get to try out your own style and stuff like that i think what's fun about doing something like don't peak for example is oh there's no dp here i'm just gonna dp it because i can let let myself loose i'm not worried about some big head honcho there i was just kind of like oh it's on me if it looks bad um, right. and so it got me to experiment a little bit more with the color than i'm used to i usually kept it really toned down you know uh because it's something scary but for this one i was like oh let's give it more color let's have some fun with it and it was uh it was a lot of fun to kind of push it in that way i think um this is something different and uh i think it's really nice for dps to direct just because you kind of put yourself in those situations where you're like oh i think i want to try something out that no director would let me do i think letting that out and experimenting with that is so helpful even mm -hmm. if you don't end up directing in your career i think it's important just to let loose and try that out um and I'm so glad I did because I don't know, I I think I uh really found my, myself as a director there because I finally took my myself seriously and took my thoughts seriously. And that really became a, a lot of fun. Well, I mean, it goes back to what I was and, saying um, what we were saying earlier about uh no one has a story to tell. Like I think it's it is important, like if you think you have an idea, commit to it put it out there because you don't know mm -hmm. you know maybe it is bad fuck it like ideas are bad but you, you should have more <laughs> yeah. than one you know or maybe you get 100%. three shorts optioned at various uh production houses <laughs> yeah you know it's it's funny how you just don't know where it's gonna end up going and i think it's it's important to not let 
that little voice in your head to stop you. There's a bunch of times where you can get overwhelmed and you get freaked out. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I literally thought Whisper was a piece of crap, you know, because it didn't scare me, but it scared other people apparently. But I was like, ah, you know, is it really that scary? And you just never know where it can end up going. I think um, it's just important to try out even ideas, just whatever it is. Like if it has a DP, it's important just to, Honestly, just know that your ideas are good. It's important to know that you have good thoughts. I think it's important to be in that situation where you're like, oh, I've experimented with this a bit on my own and just shot some stuff. And this was fun to just dive into that. I feel way more, I feel like I can trust myself more. Um, I think there's times where we get very overwhelmed on shoots. Like there were times where I'd shot a really, really big ad and they want to... <laughs> It was a big car ad. I'm not going to mention which one it was, but they they moved. Uh, they wanted to, instead of a big psych re reveal thing, they wanted to actually have it in a whole other location. But we had pre-lit the place for two days, mm -hmm. you know, had it done right. And it was really, uh, it was really like freaking me out because I get a call from the director the night of the night before the shoot. And I'm like, oh my God, what we're doing? We're flipping, we're moving the car somewhere else. He's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, uh, and it's like, freaked me out. We're on the day and everyone's asking questions to me. And I'm like, um, and I remember I needed to like take a moment. And I remember there was a moment that, that Deacon said where he put his head on the, he put his eye on the viewfinder and closed both his eyes. And no one bugs you because you're on the viewfinder, but he just like sat in his own mind for a second and you know, with his thoughts. and. I think that's important to do, you know, when you feel it's easy to feel overwhelmed and um, just know that you can handle it. You know, well, it's just yeah. another big one that that helped me a lot was uh, I couldn't attribute the quote, but it's basically confidence comes after you, mm -hmm. you, you know, the it's um, what's it called when you do something in the face of danger? Not it's not confidence. It's just <laughs> willpower. You have to basically you have to yeah. do the thing first. And then when you've learned that you'll live through it, that's when you have confidence to do the next thing. I think a lot of people get yeah. caught up in, oh, but how do I know if my idea is good? It's like you don't, but you do yeah. it and then it fails or it succeeds, whatever. But then you have you know that you survived. You've learned <laughs> some things. You do yeah. it again and again and again and again. And now you're now you have a career. Yeah. And I think a lot of us you know, we might have some some filmmaker that we really admire and think that they have all the answers, but they can be just as scared as we are, you know? Uh, it just depends on what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's always important to have that uh, sense of danger, that sense of fear that's like, oh, I'm freaked out about this. I get more, I don't know, I, I, I get more excited about those projects than anything where I'm like, I don't know how I'd handle this scene or handle that shot and it's it's getting in my head and making me think oh i wonder if i could try something else out something that's unsafe try out a scene in a different way i think that's way more exciting to me than something that's like oh okay i feel safe with this this you know i always want to try something out that's different that makes me feel like i'm i i'm in uncomfortable waters you know comfort will i think kill that's you. what's more exciting yes you know, you, and, you don't you don't get a yeah. six pack from laying down. <laughs> exactly. And I think it's fun. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, like I think it's just important to try out things that you really wouldn't like 
even the first horror short, I was like exhausted. I was going through like a bit of a breakup at that point. And I was like, oh, I could just, I was sleeping on my friend's couch. And I was like, you know, I just want to relax. I don't want to do with this right now. I feel like garbage. And uh, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I ended up doing this thing. Cause uh, yeah, who know who knew where it would take me, you know? Um, and it took a lot of my money, but it was like, hey, I'll do it, you know, make it happen. I think it's uh, important to go ahead and take those risks. Um, it, it, it's, now like you know i'm represented ca because of one of those shorts and it's it's wild to see how that all happens it's important to just take those risks and try out new things try to short that's like it does all these visual effects or try one that doesn't have any visual effects but you have to give it this look that's you know something extraordinary off of nothing and i think it's fantastic can you hear that plane (laughs) yeah no it's the fucking uh leaf blower um all right, oh, noise fantastic. reduction. It's coming in. Uh, so to wrap to wrap it up, thanks so much for spending this time yeah. with me. Uh, I ask everyone the same two questions to end. One, uh, well, I won't say the second one. I've learned. Uh, first one, um, <laughs> what is the not not the one thing, but what's like one thing that pops up in your mind that uh, you think has helped you along your career? It can be a it can be a physical item. It can be a change a change of lifestyle. A piece of advice you got like one thing that just bounces off your head all the time Hmm. um i find this works with everything in terms of like writing or even you know editing something or even shooting something i think there's always we are hesitant about something whatever that is in our career it can be anything and i always say like uh like for example when i was um I was hesitant to put out the own peak that short. I was like, is that scary? I don't know. And I, I think it's important to not let something die in a hard drive. I think it's important as an artist to always cut the umbilical cord, you know, like it's, it's scary and you don't, you're nervous about this thing, but you just got to do it. And I think, um, that can be attributed to anything, but I think there's always a project sitting on a hard drive or sitting in your head and you're like, oh, I'm right. I'm, I want to write it, but I'm, uh, or, I'm I want to send out the script, but I'm scared. You know, there's always that little bit of hesitation. I think it's always important to just let it free, you yeah. know, let that thing out there. Um, I think that's very important. I, I think the other thing I'd probably say is just what we were talking about earlier about tools. Don't let the tools and all those things get in your head, you know make it worth what you got, I think is such a fun constraint because it forces you to like sit down and there's always somebody that has a camera nearby. There's always somebody that you can help out with and they can just come aboard and just, you know, do whatever. And you can borrow some all right camera to shoot something with. I think there's always um, a nice way of just having fun with it. Um, I, I will say the other thing I don't think we covered was uh, doing doing things that we don't feel like a genre we don't feel comfortable in. I'd mm. never done horror till up that up until this point uh, in 2017 or 2016 uh, or 2017 is when I did my first horror short. And I was always doing comedies and dramas. I didn't think I could handle it. And I was like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm a comedy drama guy. And when I did my first horror thing, everyone was like, what's wrong with you? I thought you were better than that. And I think that mindset is very easy to have. I think it's changed in the recent times. Like I allow those friends that now do horror things, but, I think it's easy to be hesitant to try something new to like, Oh, I don't feel like I can cover a documentary style approach or somebody let's shoot docu style shooting something very cinematic and different, you know, very 
bolted or whatnot. I think it's very different to jump back and forth and that can even be something you're hesitant to do. And I think it's just important to try it out, you know, try out something that gets you nervous. I think it's really, really important to just try something out because sometimes you just kind of like, what am I even doing? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. It's always important to just, you never know if that's the genre that might click with you. Totally. Uh, second question, just, uh, what do you want to promote? What do you want the people to, where can they see your stuff? Where can they find you? What, uh, oh. you know, the floor is yours. The floor is mine. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, I guess my, the biggest place right now is, uh, my YouTube channel. Um, it's Julian Terry or, I've been don't peek, you know, uh, it should pop up. The big thing I'm going to be dropping there soon is a huge making of video for the short in terms of showing all the little uh, practical effects we put into it in terms of also like breaking down. I do break down a bit of like how we put this thing together wise with what little we had and how we were able to push that to our its limit. Um, you know, a little bit about the editing and the color and stuff that got taken out some of the stuff you might not have noticed. And I think it's really important to just show that we can all put the stuff together with no budget and we can end up, you never know if it can end up giving you a jump start in your career. You know, I think totally. it's very important to kind of inspire others. The craziest thing about these days are you can, like I went to talk to a high school uh, about a year ago. I think it was a little over a year ago before the pandemic hit. But um, what was crazy about it was all of these kids were, knowledgeable using dslrs you know i was sitting there like wow what i would have freaked out if i was in high school like use a dslr i don't know I, I it's crazy to look at that now and think i think a lot of us get so used to having these cameras around and we kind of think oh like i have my old t2i right here you know like this Classic. thing is ancient but i bet you i could have shot don't peak the same way it, it might have taken a little more light but you know you can pull off the stuff. It's just, in the end, it just, you can color it up and make it look really dang good with color correction. I think the big thing is um, knowing that we all have the tools to do it. I think it's just having the guts to go ahead and make it yourself. You know, Resolve is free. Shot. Yes, Resolve is free. I've, I think that's the thing is, you know, DaVinci, they, they get a lot of crap for their cameras sometimes. I don't know why. And they, you know, I think it they had a rough start but I think it's incredible to see what they're giving out. They're giving out free editing. They're giving out free color. It's it's incredible. Um, and I think it's just fantastic. You can look at, look at YouTube and just gain all this knowledge. And uh, it's, it's an incredible time to be a filmmaker. I think it's just about making something that's just fun and just different enough to get people's attention. You never know where that could take you. Totally. Well, uh, again, thanks so much for spending the, the hour and some change with me. I really appreciate it. And when, uh, yeah, when those features start getting made, uh, we'll, we'll, or next time you have a project, just let me know and we'll, we'll have you back on and talk about it. Fantastic, man. I'm super excited. Let's get yeah, it going <laughs> for sure. All right. All right. Well, uh, take cool. care and, uh, have a nice day. Catch you later. Peace. Bye-bye. Yep. Frame and Reference is an Owlbot production. It's produced and edited by me, Kenny McMillan, and distributed by Pro Video Coalition. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark Pelly, and the FNR Mapbox logo was designed by Nate Truax of Truax Branding Company. You can read or watch the podcast you've just heard by going to ProVideoCoalition.com or YouTube.com slash Owlbot, respectively. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>